0: Before I start this new episode of The Cutting Edge with Jackknife regarding the Rangers, three things I forgot to touch up on last week that I feel a little silly for. Well, two of them I still feel silly for. One, I didn't mention how Chris Knobloch is no longer the head coach of the Hartford Wolfpack after he took over the head coaching job for the Edmonton Oilers. I guess you could chalk that up to Dan Mews replacing him in all my fantasies. Of future Rangers head coach, the Laviolette's doing awesome right now. The second thing I feel especially dumb for is not mentioning the fact that Henrik Lundqvist was inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Real doubt on my part. Congratulations to the King, well earned. I don't think there's anything else I could say that hasn't been said already about him. Only the Rangers gave him some solid scoring throughout the lineup. Maybe, you know, maybe he would have brought one to New York. The third thing. Well, this is after I finished recording last night, and I just didn't feel like putting it in. Larry Brooks reported that the Rangers will not be on the Patrick Kane train anymore. He will not be returning to the New York Rangers. Thank God. Tired of that storyline. Anyway, let's get into this week. Enjoy, guys. Hey everyone, this is Jackknife. Welcome to another bonus episode of the Cutting Edge 2023-24 Weekly New York Rangers Recap. Hope you liked the cold open. It was dumb of me to forget that stuff. Hope you're all doing well as we head into this holiday weekend. I know I am. Mostly because the New York Rangers are in first place of the Metropolitan Division with a 12-3-1 record. Despite the adversity they have faced, not just because of the injuries, but because of extremely inconsistent rulings from the NHL situation room in Toronto. All those hurdles, and the Rangers are one of the top teams, not just in their division, but in the NHL. To add more perspective, the Rangers' record of 12-3-1 through 15 games is the best start in in franchise history. This isn't even their final form. Kind of makes you wonder, is this team more dangerous than we originally thought? Well, we might find that out this upcoming week. They got a big, and I mean big, challenge ahead of them these next few games, which we'll get into later. But let's look at the games that took place since the last time I talked about this team. After a five-day break, the Rangers returned to action against their hated rivals, the New Jersey Devils, leaving Newark on top with a 5-3 victory on Saturday, but then falling to a very good Dallas Stars team 6-3 in Texas last night at the time of this recording. So, the 11-game point streak is over, but there's still some pretty good things to take out of these past two games. There's a lot to break down. Let First, let's look at the Devils game. A rematch of the first round from last year. Perhaps a chance at revenge if you want to look at it this way. I think most fans didn't. I saw Zach Daniels on Twitter talking about the Chiefs-Eagles game on Monday, saying this isn't a revenge game for the Super Bowl unless it's in February, meaning the Super Bowl. Maybe you can say the same thing about the Rangers game. This Rangers game against the Devils wouldn't it be a revenge game unless it was in April or May, meaning the playoffs. But I digress. Still, no Adam Fox or Philip Heel in the lineup, but Igor Shusturkin played his first game since November second, a 16-day layoff. Artemi Panarin continued his point streak with a power play goal in the first period. That point gave him a 15-game point streak to open up the season, breaking Roger Baer's previous franchise record of 14. A good start, but the aforementioned Shesterkin clearly showed the rust of not playing in so long. While the Devils were without Nico Heischer and Timo Meyer, they did get Jack Hughes back in the lineup. Hughes threw a shot on net that Igor thought he had, and he should have had, even the refs thought he had it as they blew the whistle. But while blowing the whistle, the puck rolled into the net. This play was reviewed by the Situation Room in Toronto. Now, think back to the previous game against the Blue Jackets. Will Cooley's shot was clearly in the net. No whistle was blown. However, they went to the original call, they stuck with the original call on the ice of no goal because of intent to blow the whistle. Or some other stupid reason. Now, back to this game. Puck is not in the net, and the whistle blew before it rolled in there. You think because of the whistle blowing, and based on the goal that was disallowed against Columbus f- five days prior, that this one wouldn't count either, right? Wrong. The situation overturned this one, and it tied the game. Now, do I think this was the right call? Yeah. What bothers me, though, is how th- this is a goal despite th- the whistle blowing. Yet the one against Columbus wasn't when no whistle was blown. I can't remember the last time the Situation Room ever called something in the Rangers' favor. It's like when the Jets would never get the benefit of a roughing the passer call. Now, I've said this before. I don't think the NHL is intentionally trying to screw the Rangers. Think about how the Rangers had more power play opportunities this game. However... They are so obviously inconsistent with their calls. You can ask any Anaheim Ducks fan after they got screwed in a game a few days ago after, once again, the puck is in the net and over the line, clearly in the net, but they still found a reason to not call it a goal. And don't you worry, we'll talk about reviews again multiple times this episode. The Rangers would get the lead back in the first on a goal from Jimmy Vesey, a greasy rebound goal. This was after Jacob Truba blasted Thomas Tomas Nosek with a clean but vicious hit near the uh, net. And oh boy, here we go again. We got more discourse on how Jacob Truba is a headhunter. He didn't hit him in the head. Truba leaves his feet. He didn't leave his feet. Nosek had his head down, staring down at the puck after he had a hard time corralling it. And Truba did what any good defenseman would do when a guy has to puck near your own net. Take them out of the play and prevent a shot. Nossek had to leave the game. Hope he's okay. But the hit was still clean. Injuries happened in contact sports. Now, to be fair, I did see a good amount of Devil fans saying it was clean. Devil fans who actually watch hockey aren't as annoying. However, there was still there were still a good amount of them on Twitter who even before the game were like, don't put Hughes out there against headhunter Truba. Okay, one, Hughes is so good, he'd never put himself in a situation to get blasted by a Truba hit. Two, look at any of Truba's quote-unquote dirty hits in the past, and you'll see the principal point of contact is always the body, and he doesn't leave his feet unless the inertia of the hit causes them to come up after making contact. Three, if you're a Devil fan and you think Trouba's hits are dirty, never say anything good about Scott Stevens again, you clown. Just think of the hits he made a career off of. The hits on Eric Lindros, Paul Correa. Do I need to go on? So the Rangers had to lead again, but Trocek took a penalty, and the Ranger killer, Andre Palat, scored his first goal of the season, because of course he does. And Igor... Got a piece of the shot, but not enough. Maybe you can make the argument he was screened by one of his own players, but clearly Shesterkin was rusty these first 20 minutes. The rust was gone the next two periods as Igor was back to his normal self. Igor had 30 saves on 33 shots this game. He stopped Hughes on two great chances. Once with the pad from the lower circle and the other off of a turnover where he tried to deke his way to a goal, but Igor stood tall. Both teams had their point-blank opportunities this period. Lafreniere had a chance to bury one past Vanacek on a wide-open net on what, if I'm not mistaken, was an odd-man rush. But the pass kind of handcuffed him and went by him. The Rangers also had a chance for a five-minute major power play after Michael McLeod hit Ryan Lingren in the head. Principal point of contact was the head. They reviewed to confirm the penalty. And not only do they rescind the five-minute major, they rescind the power play in general. Sam, Rosen, and Joe Micheletti said that one of the reasons they must have overturned it is because McLeod didn't leave his feet, which would make sense if the principal point of contact wasn't Lindgren's fucking chin. After, After he got rid of the puck! Like you couldn't at least downgrade it to a minor to keep the penalty? What a douche! Thankfully, Lindgren stayed in the game this time. So the score remained 2-2 heading to the third period. And in the third period, the Devils struck early with Eric Halla, who had the game winner in Game 7 last year. So it figures he puts up a rebound after Jack Hughes created chaos. Nothing Igor could really do there. Then you get the Devils fans sing-songing Igor when there's still a whole period left. Things were looking bleak for the Rangers. They had two power play opportunities and couldn't cash in on either of them. Igor was keeping the Rangers in it. He stopped Jesper Bratt, or was it Jesper Bratt? On a breakaway. But the Rangers weren't taking advantage. I was dreading the upcoming discourse online of Devil fans acting like they won the Stanley Cup, which is how they usually act after they beat the Rangers. However, Artemi Panarin had other plans. Off the faceoff, rips a shot past Vanacek, this game looked like it was going into overtime. However, just after three minutes left in regulation, Vincent Trotrek draws some defenders after him, after his linemates go off for a change, and he drops it back to Jimmy Vesey, who sends it to Tyler Pitlick, who sends it back to Vesey, who shoots it and puts home the rebound on a greasy spinorama goal to give the Rangers the lead once again. The roar of the crowd at the potential center was loud. That's why they called Madison Square Garden West. The Devils had some control with the goalie pulled late, but Blake Wheeler would put home the empty netter with about a minute and a half left to seal the deal and give the Rangers a crucial two points against their hated division rival. It was a very satisfying win. The Rangers did their best Bob Ross impression. They beat the devil out of it. <laughs> <laughs> I always, I always love making that joke after wins against the Devils. There's some catharsis there after falling to them last year. It's safe to say we'll see them again. I don't care where they are currently in the standings. Injuries to both teams aside, this was likely a playoff preview. Now, the Rangers and Devils won't play again until February. So I'm thankful the Rangers don't have to sit on this loss until then. In this case, it's the Devil fans who have to sit on it, and you just gotta feel bad for them in this case. They lost the Stanley Cup that night. They have to wait until February to try to win the Stanley Cup again. Yeah, I know that's hyperbole, but Christ, Devil fans are so obsessed with the Rangers. Then they try to project it on the Ranger fans. Forgive me, I'm about to go on a tangent here because now they're back after going into hibernation for a decade. Devil fans all 10 of them project their insecurities onto Ranger fans they say they are the ones that live rent free in our heads i sit i hear that and i'm sitting here like remember when devil fans ripped off the potvin sucks chant and changed it to ranger suck the brave ones keep it going by adding flyer swallow and crosby watches remember when the devils ran a program called no blue keep Ranger fans out of the pebble in 20, the 2012 Eastern Conference Finals. I remember being in the press box at the Prudential Center in fall of 2017-2018 season for a game against the Florida Panthers. The Florida Panthers! In the pregame hype video, Ken Danico said something along the lines of, quote, we were more than that team across the river, unquote. Sounds like that could have a double meaning there. Who is the team across the River Ken? I also remember that season when they went to the playoffs. First round against the Tampa Bay Lightning. The pregame hype video, a friend of mine sent me a Snapchat of it. They showed Ranger players playing golf on the Jumbotron. Brady Shea was one of them. I don't remember who else was in it. Not to mention... Singing our goal song after game seven last year. That didn't stop there. Bree's uncle, my uncle Bob, was at the American Ale House or something in Woodbridge for this recent game, for this game on Saturday. And after the of goal, they were singing our goal song again there. I remember Alex Day at Overtime Day on Instagram interviewing that one devil superfan. That huge guy that paints his entire head red. He was asked the question, what's the best part about rooting for the devils? He found says, without hesitation, hating the New York Rangers. You can find it on there still. You go to his Instagram pro- profile, scroll to it, you can find it. Also, Pasha of Barstool going around New York City finding randos and feeding them answers like the Rangers are the worst fans in hockey. This was all before the season even started. Avery Zaretsky, I doubt you're listening to this, but I'll happily jump into Hudson River for you if you want him and the Chicklets boys off your back for that. I remember the Devils won the first head-to-head matchup last year and seeing just paragraphs and paragraphs on Twitter from them about how awful the Rangers' history is, how awful New York City is, even though your favorite team plays in fucking Newark. It's like they don't even like the team. They just use the team as some kind of outlet for how much they hate New York City. Don't forget Jack Hughes saying in the interview that they were hungover from beating the Rangers and that they weren't ready for the Hurricanes. Kind of like the Jets in the 2010-11 season. Beat the Patriots, great. You still have a game against the Steelers you might want to show up for because that wasn't your Super Bowl. Or maybe that was your Super Bowl and that's why you lost. There was also an MSG Network commercial because they need to play on our favorite team's network or favorite team's family of networks with some Newark deli owners, I think it was Newark, selling a Henrik Lundqvist soup which was hot soup with no cup. Schmuck probably refers to porkless as Taylor Ham, too. And don't even get me started on the brotpak on Twitter. Friend of the show, Johnny Lazarus, is friendly with that guy. I don't know why. Maybe that's why he's further ahead in this business than I am. Oh, Jack, how can he be from New Jersey? And not root for the Devils. How can you be from New Jersey and root for the Rangers? Well, if they ever put an MLB team in New Jersey, whether it be in Trenton, Newark, or some other city here, please, renounce your Yankees, Mets, or Phillies fandom immediately. Once that ha- If that happens. I remember reading some article, What NJ Residents Love About New Jersey, Or something along those lines. It was a huge list. I'm sure there's multiple lists about what New Jersey residents love about New Jersey. And the Devils were on this list. And it said something like, quote, North Jersey likes the Yankees and Giants. No mention of the Mets or Jets. And South Jersey likes the Phillies and Eagles. But the Devils are New Jersey's team, so they get everyone's love. Well, that's a fucking lie. The fact that someone wrote and published that so confidently says all you need to know about the state of journalism. Whoever wrote that is a normie who doesn't watch hockey. A lot of devil fans are. They're just like, look at me, I love being from Jersey. So I'm going to root for the one team that wants to claim the state. Look how much I hate the Rangers. And to go back on why that statement in that article is a lie. The Devils play in Newark, which is in North Jersey, across the river from New York City. Uh, hence why they nicknamed the Rangers-Devils rivalry, the Hudson River rivalry. You ever notice that the Devils don't market or rarely touch South Jersey? That's because they know there are only, there's only Flyer fans down there. The Flyers are the most popular NHL team in New Jersey. There are more Flyers and Rangers fans in the state of New Jersey than Devil fans. They want to differentiate themselves from New York by being New Jersey's team. Yet they play across the river and want to be part of the New York sports discussion? Like, do you want to be your own unique New Jersey thing or not? Like, be brave. Embrace the New Jersey label. Play in Trenton, which is basically the cutoff between New York and Philly fandoms. Forget having your games on WFAN, which is New York's radio station. Go play your games on New Jersey 101.5. Be your own Jersey thing. Forget this inferiority complex with New York. But they won't. One, the Prudential Center is too new. Two, they need to mooch off the New York market for the relevancy. Then you get the typical, "Oh, the Rangers have one cup since World War II NPC response from them. One, I don't care if yours are more recent and that you've been around for a shorter time. Four cups is more than three. Math! Yeah, I could celebrate championships that were in black and white. older Stanley Cup wins are cool. Let me know when the devil's when a cup within their goalie gets hurt and their coach has to suit up in net and lead them to victory. Like Lester Patrick did for the Rangers against the Montreal Maroons in 1928. Foster Hewitt, legendary voice in hockey, called one of our Stanley Cups. At least one of them. Can't say that about any of your championships. Sure, 1995, 2000, 2003. Yeah, they're more recent than 1994. But yeah, your last championship was 2003. Don't act like you have highlights. You don't exactly have highlights of your team winning the Stanley Cup in high definition either, buddy. Though I expect that to change for both the Rangers and Devils this decade. With the directions both teams are heading in. After the game, a huge group of Ranger fans got a picture at center ice. Devil fans were all butthurt about it on Twitter. Saying someone in the organization needed to be fired after that happened, they said. Bad enough they lost the Stanley Cup prior. <laughs> you expect me to feel sympathy for you? After the you mocked us for so long? Singing our goal song after Game 7? You're lucky that's all that happened. I remember our old friend, friend of the show, Big Red, Matt DiGiacomo, was able to get on the Prudential Center ice with a group of Islander fans instead. They didn't have an issue then. So of course it's only a problem when it's the Rangers fans. There's a lot more examples I can list. I wish I could find an article from 2013 that was on SNY Rangers blog that quoted former Devils coach Pete DeBoer saying how Devil fans were literally telling him that eliminating the Rangers in 2012 was better than winning the Stanley Cup. I should have archived it. But I don't want to keep you here all night. More examples are locked in my memory bank. I'll share them with you when the time comes. Besides, I love the Rangers more than I hate these clowns. Bottom line is this, Devil fans. Don't project your that shit onto us. You can hate us. That's fine. It's fine. I hate a lot of teams. I don't just hate you. I hate the Islanders. I hate the Penguins. I hate the Flyers and Bruins. It's when you hate your rival more than you love your own team where it gets bad. And if your team is so much more successful than ours, why are you so obsessed? It's worse than Red Sox fans, and that's saying something. For fans of a team that is supposedly so much better than their rival, you sure can't keep the rival's name out of your mouth. I'm sure some of my William Patterson boys, like Jordan Uro, David Heffron, and Nate Leo, are listening to this right now. And they can't wait to make me eat crow the next time the Devils win. I see people bookmarking my jokes. Whatever. If you can dish it, be ready to take it. Once the pendulum swings in the other way. That's how fandom works. Okay. I got it out of my system. To prove I'm not a complete and total hypocrite, yes, the Potvin sucks chant needs to die. Or at the very least be saved for games against the Islanders. I made a video on it. I think that's childish too. Hey, if Boston, if the Boston Red Sox and their fans could get angry at Aaron Judge for playing New York, New York in Fenway Park after beating them, I can still be angry at the Devil fans for mock singing our goal song. So, on to the next game, because this was not the Stanley Cup. A lot more hockey left. Best 15-game start of a season in franchise history. So, the next step was to go for the best 16-game start. Lassie and the Blue Crew boys said the Rangers may never lose again. A reference to the show Shorzy, a spinoff of Letterkenny. I really didn't care for Shorzy. I'm about to piss off both my co-hosts. Maybe a good amount of listeners, too. I didn't really care for Letterkenny, either. Everyone just seems... Every character just seems the same in that show. Yeah, I'm sure Zach and Tom are about to spam our group chat right now after hearing that. Anyway, were the Rangers successful? Well, you likely know the answer by now. The next game was against the Dallas Stars. Dallas is leading the Central Division. They got talented players like Tyler Sagan, Jason Robertson... Matt Shane, so on and so forth. The Stars lost badly to the Colorado Avalanche the last game, so they just had a wake-up call of their own. This was going to be a tough game from the get-go, even with Dallas missing Thomas Harley on defense. At the beginning, it looked like the Rangers were going to do it again. The first 35 or 40 minutes of this game, the Rangers played really well. Alexi Lefrenier, oh my god. He was flying. He had a number of quality opportunities, including a breakaway that Scott Wedgwood, not Jake Ottinger, stood tall on. However, that was a story that night. Wedgwood just stood on his head. He came ready to play, stopping 30 of 33 Rangers shots. And this was a game the Rangers could have easily been shut out in, especially considering the first two Ranger goals were scored on just fluky, were just, they were just fluky bullshit ones. The first goal was a power play goal from Trocek. The shot went wide and nobody knew what it was, not even Wedgwood. Trocek grabbed it from behind the net and put it in during that moment of confusion for Dallas. The Stars were able to create some moments of chaos in the first, but the Rangers didn't break. The next goal would come in the second and it was from a guy the Rangers really need to get going. Kapokako scored trying to pass the puck, but it went off of Ryan Suter's stick and into the net. I have said time and time again that Kako needs to be more aggressive. Despite him scoring, this is not an aggressive play at all. It was him being passive. Hence him passing it. Thankfully, his goal and point drought came to an end. But he needs to drive to the net and take more shots if he wants to translate his defensive game into offense. I don't think it necessarily helps that he's playing on a line with Nick Benino at center. That's not a shot at Benino. He's not here to score. He's here to defend, win faceoffs, and block shots. And he's been doing all that. At the same time, if we Ranger fans want Kako to produce, he needs better help around him. But at the same time, this is partially on him. I remember seeing someone on Twitter like compare him with Mark Stone, a guy who didn't produce a lot early in his career, but then began to drive to the net more and then began to really break out. Eh, I guess that's a good comparison. I'd like to see Kako play like that. He needs a bit of prick in him. I think it makes sense to put him back on the line with Chris Kreider, Mika Zibanejad, And Laviolite did put him back on that lineup later in the game. I know Wheeler has put up more points lately, but he's too slow to be playing on that first line. So, the Rangers were in the driver's seat. Two-goal lead. Hold up now. That's the worst lead in hockey. And it was gone in 45 seconds. Jimmy Vc tried to hit Keandre Miller, who was pinching in the zone. It did hit Miller's stick, but he had to deke it around the Stars defenseman, and it was in a very tight window, and the Stars were able to steal it for an odd man rush. Zach Jones hung out to drive against at least three Dallas Stars defensemen, and Jamie Benn put home the shot. Nothing Igor could really do on it. That goal gave Dallas the momentum they needed heading into the third period. In the third, just over a minute gone by, after Pavelski won a f- face-off against Cooley, Dallas created enough chaos in front of Shosturkin where Pavelski put home a rebound shot to tie the game. Shortly after that, barkley Goodrow, with an absolutely boneheaded high-sticking penalty. as it, If I'm not mistaken, he was skating to the bench and high-sticked the opponent, just being careless with his stick. Mason Marshman poked home a rebound through Sterkin's five fold before he could cover it. This goal, though, officials initially blew off, saying there was goalie interference. The Stars challenge it, and oh boy, here we go again. Situation room, again. To nobody's surprise, the call was overturned. Tyler Sagan would score another goal just over a minute later in a mad scramble, and this time Peter Laviolette challenged it. Oh boy, another challenge. He challenged for goal interference. And I honestly don't know what he could have saw in that. I think he just knew how desperate the Rangers were in that situation. He was just, just throwing it out there. Obviously, the call was upheld. So in the span of three games and five replays from Toronto, the Rangers were the beneficiaries, beneficiaries of none of them. The Hughes goal, the two goals by Dallas, fair. Those were the right calls. But then there's not calling Cooley's goal against Columbus. And don't forget the one against Edmond that they call distinct kicking motion. That's two goals from Cooley they took this season. There's also overturning McLeod's penalty on Lingering, even though he clearly hits him in the head. How on God's green earth are the Rangers never the beneficiaries of a replay from the situation room? I understand three of those calls had to be goals. But the other ones just show again how incompetent and inconsistent they are up in Toronto. No use in complaining about it now. i complained about it enough before. The Stars would get two more shorthanded goals on empty netters. Rangers were desperate on the power play and couldn't punch it through. Goudreau would get one goal in garbage time, but that was it. This was the Rangers' first regulation loss since that awful game against the Predators on October 19th. The point streak ends at 11, and Panarin's point streak ends at 15. So, this was the first Rangers' first regulation loss in over a month. So yeah, losing stinks, but it's an 82-game season. You're going to lose some. For the most part, the Rangers played really well this game. I think they can beat the Stars, but if they play them 10 times, they're not winning all 10. As I said before, Dallas is a good hockey team. The score of this game is very misleading. None of the goals were Eager's fault. He stopped 30 of Dallas's 34 shot attempts on him. The goals were just chaotic scenarios that you really can't fault the goalie for. And you'd like to think, maybe if Jimmy VC doesn't turn the puck over, maybe the Rangers do come out with a win. That's how easily momentum could change in this game. Besides, it's not like the Rangers completely got manhandled in the shot category. The stars only outshot them by three. Sometimes that's not your night. You don't you know what? You don't learn anything from winning all the time. Look how well that worked for Boston last year. So the point streak is over, but keep in mind, the Rangers were able to do this without having Igor Shisturkin, Adam Fox, or Phil Heedle for a good duration of it. Fox is starting to skate again. He can't come back until November 29th. I think the game against Dallas shows why they can't wait for him to come back. Not because of the talent that Fox brings on both ends of the ice. Not that Gustafson hasn't been great filling the void, which we'll touch up on in a little bit. But having Brandon Schneider and Zach Jones as a defensive pairing is not ideal. Still no update on Heedle. He hasn't been skating. As I said last podcast, if it's a concussion, he... He suffered multiple ones at this point. The more concussions you get, the worse they get. Forget about his playing career for a second. Worry about his quality of life. You don't want to see him go through what happened with Michael Sauer, Eric Lindros, or Chris Pronger, guys who had their careers cut short because of bad concussions. I think Mike Richter might be one of the got- another name on that list. It's all speculation at this point because NHL teams never specify injuries anymore but the Rangers would certainly like to have him back. In his absence, Vincent Trocek has been a stud on the second line. Trocek is third on the team in even strength points with nine. According to Rangers Muse on Twitter, since joining Lafreniere and Naren on the second line, Trocek has four goals, eight assists for 11 points, and two three-point games. He now has a six-point He's six-game point streak, rather. When, or if, hopefully when, Hedl comes back, it's going to be very hard to take him off that line. Maybe put Heedle on the line with Kako and Cooley? I would like the sound of that. Next guy with the tire pump is Eric Gustafson. Gus Bus is fourth on the team in even-strength points with eight. This is a tweet from Lazzy before yesterday's game. Gustafson is sixth. Among NHL defensemen in spending time in the off offensive zone at all strengths. He got this using the NHL, stat ed NHL edge stat tracker. Whatever that is. Maybe he has access to that kind of stuff. I don't. Perks of being a pro. Right, Johnny? Really hope the Rangers can keep him beyond this season. He only signed for $825,000. He might get paid this offseason. season but I'm enjoying him while we have him. So those are some of the guys who deserve some praise, but some guys are still trying to find it. I talked about Kaka before. One guy who we have been talking about for a while now is Mika Zibanejad. There were a couple of instances in this game against the Stars where he just couldn't keep the puck onto his stick. Once trying to enter the zone in the second pier, he was flying, and it could have been a good opportunity, but it just went off the end of his stick and coughed it up to Dallas. The other one was one of the power plays on the third, and he just couldn't get a quality shot off. The bandage is kind of known as a notoriously so st- starter, but this is unique even for him. He has the same amount of even strength points as Nick Bonino. One. Bonino got his first against the Stars. This is the first time he's had only one even strength point to start a season since 2021 and that was because he was recovering from a bout with COVID. So, you gotta wonder, what will it take to get him going? He's bought into the system. He had a good block against Dallas, but he and Chris Kreider need to put up more points. Now, the discourse amongst Rangers fans is to split them up. I'm not entirely opposed to that. However, the Rangers can't go on after constant line shuffling. The line of Panarin, Trochek, and Lafreniere has been so good that it doesn't really make sense to split them up. However, I do like the idea of Zabianjat centering Panarin and Lafreniere, with Kreider on the line with Trocheck and Kako. I think it's too early to experiment with that. But if this team wants to go far, it's very important that Zabanjat start coring, scoring, start scoring, to complement the points that Panarin has put up. To be fair, it's not all Zabianjat. A lot of guys need to get it going. I said Kreider. I said Kako. I mean, Heedle hasn't put up a goal before he got hurt. Yet, the Rangers are first in the Metropolitan, with a four-point lead and two games in hand over the second-place Flyers, a surprising team there, and a five-point lead and one more game played over the third-place Capitals, another surprise team. And they're fourth in the NHL in points and have only one less win than the Bruins, Golden Knights, and Canucks. All of all of them have played more games than the Rangers. Almost one quarter of the way through the season. The Rangers are rolling despite many of the key players getting hurt and some key players just not playing up to par yet. That, and I'm sure they're still trying to iron out some details of Peter LaVillette's system. So they haven't reached 100% yet. Hence the title of this episode. A Dragon Ball Z reference, this isn't even my final form. I knew this going into this season, that the Rangers would be good. But are they even better than we initially thought? Are they truly a threat to win the Stanley Cup? Those questions will be answered as the season goes on. But one would like to think that if this is what the Rangers are when they haven't quite found themselves yet, Imagine how dangerous they are once they do find their game. I asked Empty Netters on Instagram if this team is a legitimate Stanley Cup contender. They said yes, they are. Paul Bizinet, biz, the spit and chiclet, says they'll be the Fugazis again. But that's a good thing as far as I'm concerned. Say off the bandwagon as long as possible, Biznet. I don't care if the clock is five seconds away from us winning the Stanley Cup. Stay off the bandwagon. This next stretch of games, though, is where you'll truly see who the Rangers are. They got a bit of a humbling from the Dallas Stars, showing, hey, you can play with the big boys, but you still have some growing to do. They need to get healthy, too. But the next game is Wednesday, or today at the time of this release of this episode. They'll be playing the Pittsburgh Penguins. Very unbalanced, poor defense, great offense. But they're coming off a three-goal shutout of the Vegas Golden Knights, defending Stanley Cup champions. Then the Rangers play a surprising Philadelphia Flyers team in Philly on Black Friday. Then the best team in the league, the Boston Bruins, on Saturday. The Bruins, who have had only one regulation loss so far this season. What a bad prediction that it was I gave Lassie that the Bruins would miss the playoffs I thought the loss of Bergeron and Krejci would be too much and now do them in, but hey, here they are. They will be without Lucic due to domestic violence allegations. The evidence against him does not look good. But as much as I hate that asshole, even before before these allegations, how much I hated Lucic, everyone deserves their day in court. What a statement it would be. But what a statement it would be. For the Rangers to hand the Bruins a loss. Preferably in regulation. And show those doubting them. Hey, they're for real. However, all those teams have a lot of talent. And if they're not the most talented, they're division rivals. So they'll be amped to play against us. So anything can happen. After those games, the Rangers play a Tage thompson list Sabres at the Garden on Monday. And it's after that game when Adam Fox will be eligible to come off long-term IR. That day, the Rangers play the Detroit Red Wings. It's going to be very difficult to win these games, especially without Fox or Heedle. But just think about what a statement it would be if the Rangers head into those games. Or were able to take some of them. And, you know, some of the guys who are asleep at the wheel right now they just suddenly woke up and began to produce. Mika Zibanejad finds his game. Maybe Kapokako plays a lot more aggressively. Next thing you know, the New York Rangers have truly cemented themselves as a team to look out for for the rest of the season. We'll find out next time I talk to you next week. But before I wrap up, quick prospect report. Gabe Perot is still a beast in Boston College. Brandon Hoffman is going through the typical ups and downs of a prospect playing in the pros for the first time. You see some Ranger fans wanting to call him now, but there's still some kinks in his game that he's need to work on. Not quite NHL-ready yet. He just did an interview with Vince Mercogliano. I wish I could read it, but at this time, I don't pay for newspaper subscriptions. Maybe soon, Vince, when... This podcast hits the big time, and I'm rolling in the Benjamins. I'll throw you a bone. I like this one quote that someone shared with me from it, though. This must have been regarding the fact that while he does have points, he's not quite lighting up the jungle yet. For those of you who don't know, the AHL's nickname is The Jungle. Othman said this. The positive way of looking at it is, I'm still getting my looks. I think I have four or five shots every game. I might have the worst shooting percentage in the league right now, but you've got to look at it like it's going to turn around at some point soon. Love to see that attitude from him as he develops. Just always looking the better than himself, knowing things will eventually turn it around for him, turn in his favor. That quote reminds me of this other quote from basketball legend and infamous Knicks coach Isaiah Thomas. Quote, I've always believed no matter how many shots I miss, I'm going to make the next one. You'll have to see that optimism. And considering one of the things I love about Othman's game is that he is an asshole. I love that he's got a similar mindset to one of the biggest assholes in NBA history. <laughs> oh, maybe Jack Hughes will hate Offman the same way Michael Jordan hates Isaiah, right? Well... As long as Hughes doesn't have similar success to Michael Jordan, I'm fine with that. However, that's a story for the future. The bun that is Offman needs to cook in that oven that is the AHL and only be pulled once it's ready. So, if you made this far, thank you very much for listening. Be sure to follow us on all our social medias, at Funz Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, and at Fat All Nerds Talking Sports on Facebook. Have an awesome Thanksgiving Eat lots of turkey, watch lots of football. I'll talk to you more about the Rangers next week. This is Jack Knife. Have a wonderful night, everyone.